Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nick from the Manage App. Welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. You well? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. So, Nick, tell me something. Uh, you guys, we'll talk about the Manage App a little bit later. We'll bring your partners in, your business partners in, and we'll talk about, you know, how it runs and how you're sort of driving into the market, all that sort of stuff, penetration, et cetera, and actually what the app does. But I just want to understand that technology is a tricky thing and building a business off a technology platform, whilst everyone sort of talks about it, dreams about it, aspires to it, it's a very – in my assessment, very rare that these things work. There's a whole lot of elements in relation to making these things work. What things did you learn growing up that do you think that you've applied to your success so far in relation to managed app? Um, that's a good question. There's probably a bit to unpack there. Um, I think probably principally, given this isn't my first rodeo, I've uh, built and run businesses before. Prior to that, I worked with a lot of businesses, helping them raise money to to go to you know to get into the public markets and uh, and grow their businesses and you know keep doing what they're doing. Um, I think maybe the um, uh, the thing, the lesson that has has taught me the most, and the thing that has has sort of kept me doing what I've been doing with Managed App for the last four and a half, almost five years now, is um, is, is getting that early validation. When I say getting it early on, I, I really do stress that because- What do you mean by validation? Well, figuring out whether or not there's actually a need for your, you know, for your product. Uh, is there a problem that you're solving? And are you getting, you know, a decent amount of interest from people that, that back that up? Um, when I say people, I mean the, the, your target customers, people that you want to sell to. Um, and we got that really early on. There was like tons of intrigue um, in what we were doing as a business because, you know, we we are effectively, I'll try to explain this in the simplest way possible, we're a property management tool that allows you to not have to do trust accounting anymore. And and that was a major headache for a lot of property managers and real estate agencies running their businesses. There's, you know, theft and fraud. There's, um, you know, all the daily downloads and reconciliations and reversals and chargebacks and um, credits in hand and end of month accounting uh, audits as well once a year, at least once a year. Um, so there was a lot of there were a lot of pain points that we sort of intuitively had an idea about solving, um, but it wasn't until we got all that feedback from customers, all the interest. Like we, we've had thousands and thousands of inbound leads since we launched the business. Um, and when you consider there's only you know fifteen, sixteen thousand real estate agencies in the country, that's that's pretty good feedback to sort of suggest that you're on a you're on something that um, is going to work, something that is um, that has a demand and something that 
um, you know, if you keep building out and you keep making better and iterating on, will be sold and can make you money. So you're 30 odd years of age. Did you have aspirations during your schooling years that you want to get into technology? Was that something you dreamed about? Did you follow this sort of stuff at school? Yeah, I was, I've always liked technology. Um, I think, um, you know, when I was a kid, I I bugged my parents for for certain devices and things that I could, you know, play around with. And, um, um, you know, I was, I was sort of fascinated by, you know, that when the internet um, arrived at our house and and getting on the web and, um, you know, getting access to all the information that was available and, and, and I mean, if you think about technology, sort of one of the terms that gets used is information technology, IT. And I think that's sort of probably the thing that draws me to it the most is it's it's, it's something that can, you know, make your life easier by by virtue of proximity to information. So, yeah, it was, look, it was definitely something that I was interested in. Um, I had other interests as well. Um, I can't say that, you know, that I knew that I wanted to, to run a, a software business. Um, you know, I mean, I probably had those uh, those other sort of pipe dreams that young young kids do become an astronaut or become an actor or after growing up a bit and realizing, you know, what my skills were and what the practicalities of, of, of life would be and, and, and where I could best apply myself. I, I think I've ended up in a pretty good industry because it's an industry that I'm interested in. And it's an industry that I think that I have a, um, a unique strength towards. So, um, and you know, as my, as my father used to tell me, um, or still does tell me, you know, yeah, you gotta be happy enough, you know, no, no one's ever ecstatically happy about anything. Um, as long as, you know, after you do sort of the, the, the pluses and minuses and, you know, do a sort of an evaluation, if you, if you're net positive and, you know, you're, you're generally happy about where you are, what you're making, what you're doing every day, the people that you work with, um, you know, the relationships around you, your health, of course, important one. He used to say to me that you're living a generally a pretty good life and to be happy about that, be grateful for that. So, Did you go to university? Did you do any tertiary study? Yeah, I did. You know, originally I had had a, had a goal to sort of uh, work in the television industry somewhere. Um, so I, I, I looked at it doing a communications degree and then I then I started I, – and I usually do do this. I, 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 I am pretty practical and, and pragmatic. Um, and, and, and when I was thinking about, well, what are the chances of, of success – you know, and, and me make, being able to make a lot, a good living for myself in, in communication somewhere, um, I, it didn't sort of stack up for me. So I, I sort of went down a more conventional path, or at least it was at the time, um, to study finance and economics. And I, and I did that and, and then I landed in, in, um, in, in capital markets um, with Bell Financial Group. I started off in their dealing desk and um, after working there for a little while, I, um, I moved into their corporate finance business equity capital markets, helping businesses raise money and, 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 you know, go from private to public and, and raise money in the public market setting. Um, so you had experience in getting funding. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which has been valuable, um, because, you know, as a, as a business owner operator, um, you know, especially working in the technology space where it's very thirsty for capital, um, having a knowledge of, of how to raise money is important and how to, you know, what that, what that process looks like and how to get investors interested was certainly a valuable uh, skill that I learned. Um, I guess after, um, you know, being in that, that capital market setting for a little while, you sort of are a bit of a spectator. You sort of sit on the sidelines and you, you know, you learn all about a company and you, um, you know, for maybe a month or two, maybe a bit longer if they're doing an IPO. Um, you know, and you, you know, you write the, all the, the required documents, prospectuses, et cetera. And, uh, but then you move on, you know, and you move on to the next thing. And, um, I sort of had a desire to sort of build something of my own. Uh, I watched my father do it. I watched him be really successful at doing it. I thought that's, that's how I'm going to make a fortune. And at the time making a fortune was important to me. Um, it's not so important to me now. Um, 
So I, I thought, well, I've got to get into, you know, I've got to go and build a company. You see all the success stories too. You read about, you know, people on those rich lists and, you know, they're all founders of some sort of amazing product or service. Um, so I, um, I I left that that sitting and I started up a, a business uh, with, with some money that I'd saved up. Um, that didn't go too well. Um, you know, very, very green, very, uh, you know, wet behind the ears and, you know, made a lot of mistakes uh, very early on and, and the business didn't last for very long because I, um, you know, we j- I just made every mistake possible, I suppose, and um, ran out of money and had to had to close it up. Um, we didn't we didn't you know close it up owing anybody any money. It was a technology based. It was technology based, but I didn't have any technology knowledge. When we uh, wound up the business, I thought that that's where I went wrong. You know, I didn't know enough about you know I hadn't formally educated myself in that area yet, so. I went back to university and studied computer science or, or a master, you know, the postgraduate version, Masters of Information Technology at UNSW. And um, I didn't finish that degree. I, I got about halfway through it um, before I had another crack at, an, at, another, at another business. Um, I actually worked with, with a financial technology company, you know, and then did some stuff in the media for, uh, for a little while in between whilst I was studying. But, um, you know, just I, I couldn't wait until I, you know, to finish another degree because it was, you know, on a part-time basis, it was still two to three years, four years away um, if I was lucky. Um, so I, I, got, I got straight into something else when the opportunity came up and that was, you know, managed app. And, um, and, 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 you know, my, my co-founder, Tom, and, and, and employee number one, Ro, were sitting outside and um, we got together and, and um, you know, Tom, through his, through his experiences as a real estate agent, had a, had a very real problem. And, and me as someone that had worked with technology and built technology and, and worked with technology partners in the past, um, you know, felt like I, I had the operational expertise to, to create what, what, what the vision was in Tom's head and bring it to market. And that's exactly what we did. Could you have just employed Tom or did you take the view, I can't afford to pay him, we've got to put this together as a partnership? Um, neither of us had any money. So uh, the money that we had was a small amount of money that was for, for us to live on and, and he'd actually just gotten his partner pregnant at the time, so um, <laughs> which later sort of presented problems for, you know, how, you know, the dynamics of working together because he became pretty busy later on. Uh, with kids and he's he's got his second kid now and he had wireframes and a, and, a, and an idea, like almost like a spec sheet for for ha- how the product would work and he and he'd pitched it to me and you know so essentially it was a business plan um, and and I helped him sort of develop that business plan and when I look back I'm, I'm shocked at at how we were able to get funding without anything real in place through a um a, a mutual connection um, to get in front of a, a media company that had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of um, you know trade media titles in the real estate space, um, and we told them about what we were thinking about doing, and and um, you know they were just starting to get into the venture investing space themselves. You know they'd built a, a great media business with a big audience, um, and they were looking to you know uh, you know as as the media industry was sort of declining in terms of media sales and and what they could fetch for uh, online um, media uh, you know banners and 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 you know EDMs and all the sort of advertising spots that you sell into your publications was sort of on the decline. They built this great audience, and they were thinking, well, how can we get some extra money out of it? Maybe we'll invest in something. Where we can leverage that audience, um, you know, s- similar to sort of what you did, Mark, with uh, Wizard Home Loans and and uh, Publish and Broadcasting Limited, aka Channel Nine. You know, we partnered up with them. They they had a small amount of money for us to build a a minimum viable product. We actually dusted that that small amount of money. Uh, we we picked the wrong development team, an offshore development team in the in the in in Vietnam in the, in Hanoi. 
Um, the, the principal was an Australian-born Vietnamese guy, and, and he had a team overseas. And, and you know, we, there was just a huge sort of breakdown in communication, and the team wasn't quite up to the task. We had to integrate with a payments provider, um, who, who base, you know, the, the, this payments provider is, is owned by Westpac and Standard Chartered, and you know, they had a lot of like you know compliance standards and security standards that needed to be met, and this team just wasn't up for it. So um, we dusted about. I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, quarter million dollars on on the first build, and and I had to you know go back to uh, um, our, our media partner um, with my hat in hand again, which was pretty embarrassing, and and I felt you know like I thought to myself for sure they're going to tell me to to piss off, um, but you know they had sort of already bought into the idea and were quite excited about seeing it work, so they they asked me if there was another way of getting it off the ground, and and I said yes, we can use a um, an onshore developer, they're going to be more expensive, but I've got you know much more confidence that uh, that they will um, get the job done and do it right. Um, I'd actually worked with them in the past on a previous project, and I and I knew their pedigree, and I'd seen them develop great products like Michelle Bridges' 12WBT, um, the influencer marketing platform called Tribe that was launched by Jules Lund. They'd done you know they'd worked with banks, and you know they'd and they'd been on retainer for co- you know companies like SunCorp, so they knew. About you know, about working with um, banking technology and, and payments in the payment space. So, um, you know, uh, and and you know, our chairman um, uh, said, "Can I come and meet them with you?" And we went and met with them in their Surrey Hills office. And you know, he, he um, the the principal of that digital agency, who's now now works with us on a on a part time basis. He still has his own business, but he's like our de facto CTO. Um, he managed to engender himself pretty well to our chairman. Um, and then we got started on the second build, and uh, fortunately. Um, we were able to get the second build away and uh, and get something in market, um, and then from there, you know, I, I don't want to sort of move too quickly to the rest of this history, but you know, we started getting you know a lot of traction and a lot of interest in our product, and now we're you know we're a company that has customers in every state and territory around the country. Um, we have representation from almost every major franchise group in the country, either at the corporate level or at the franchisee level. We're the preferred technology partner, for instance, for Century Twenty One Australia. Um, we um, and we processed uh, north of 1.4 billion dollars in transactions since we launched. So, you know, and and with with virtually no mistakes or, or fraud. I think we had one instance of fraud, but that was um, that was caused by a, a customer's email getting hacked, and then from there, sort of, there was a bit of phishing that went on that sort of caused them to sort of get the level of security that they needed to to you know to con their right. agency, to con their agency to to give them some money. But fortunately. Given the way that the, the the product is set up, the architecture of the product, um, because every user has a digital wallet, and that digital wallet only ever, ever has a sort of a small amount of money in it at, at any point in time, a few thousand dollars, four thousand dollars max, um, they they weren't able to steal a lot of money from the platform. Whereas, you know, in the trust accounting world, where there's potentially millions of dollars in a bank account all pulled together, lots of money can be stolen. So, and, and it is a temptation to the principal who controls the trust account. Well, the signatories on the trust account. Absolutely. Most of the time it is stolen by the principal. And the gamblers and yep. all sorts of problems. Cash flow problems with the business. Um, yeah. yeah. And, but where people don't even know about this because I, I remember in the law law firm days when mm. I was a young guy, the, the, the principal way money was defrauded from clients was attacking the trust account of the law firm and in the county firm yep. too. So I was a senior partner of a county firm and that our, our CFO actually stole a whole lot of money out of our trust account. And we didn't even know about it. He was the nicest, squarest bloke you've ever met in your life. But here he was, he was knocking us off every week for about a year. He ended up going to jail. The same thing happened in the law firm. 
And uh, yeah. right. it's funny what you you mentioned that because um, one of our he's not one of our directors, but one of our board observers, Adrian. He he actually suggests that we pitch our product to our solicitors, and then we you know we so we talked to we talked to the solicitors about it's it's not a market where we're sort of looking to get into anytime soon. But um, that's also like like you said, that's the other big one. Um, so, so real estate agents and solicitors are two biggest sort of um, operators of trust bank accounts. Out there. I actually work with a guy called Adrian in, in, a, in a law firm that I was talking about, and uh, yep. I, we wonder how for the future trust accounts are going to be controlled um, outside of the firm and because take the temptation or the, the, the seductive, like you can talk about millions and millions of dollars. Your client settles a property, could be two, three million bucks, and our firm is a big firm and that money just sits in our trust account and sat there for days and eventually someone gets their hands on it. It's just too much money and they think, oh, look, I'll just take it over a couple of days. I'll put it back. Yeah. Absolutely. No one no, it's missing, but that, that's not how it works. It, you know, they take half a million down, they take another million, and the next thing it was just snowball. So your business idea or your problem that you try to solve, well, one of the problems you try to solve is obviously efficiencies and a whole lot of other things, costs, et cetera, for the landholder, the landowner. But landlord. Landlord, that's it. <laughs> Pretty shit word, landlord. It sounds a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, everyone's right? starting to call them owners now. Yeah. They think that people like, Lord's a bit of a weird word. Yeah, weird. I'm yeah. lording over you. You tell me, I'll yeah, tell you what yeah. to do. It's been but too it, elitist now, yeah. But that, that, that trust account um, piece is quite interesting. And what's also interesting is you were always, you said right at the beginning that at one stage in your life when you were a much younger man, you were thinking about maybe media as a place I want to do. I want to get into the production role or get into as an actor or whatever you wanted to do. And all of a sudden, you've got a media partner. You've got a, you, you've got two media partners, as I understand. But your your first investor, your early investor, is a media partner. In um, your desire to be involved in media, did you ever end up producing any shows? Did you ever produce a show? I made made one show. It did, you know it went okay. We, we you know we've got a prime time spot on uh, on Channel Seven. Were you uh, production or creator? What was your role? I was I was the co-creator of the show. Um, Who was the other creator? Uh, oh, he's um um he's he's oh, sort of he's, he's a bit of a he's he's like connective tissue around around these parts. Brother of Ben Fordham, the the popular two GB um, radio host. His name's Nick Fordham, so he manages quite a quite quite a few yeah, people in, in in the industry, and and you know he's. Also produced, he's produced a few shows in the past. One of the more notable ones is uh, it's Matt Wright's uh, Outback Wrangler up there in the northern. So territory. you and he created a show together. Yes, like he didn't get. What was that show called? Uh, it was it was called the Mentor. Oh, the really the Mentor. Yeah, similar uh, similar to the name of, of this this podcast, which, yeah. is, which is interesting. Yeah, and who yeah. was the person in the Mentor? Oh, this guy he sort of he he was famous once upon a time on a in a on a, a TV show, a popular TV format from the United States. He he was the prime time character in in The Apprentice, the Australian version of The Apprentice. His name was uh, Mark something. <laughs> Mark something. Can't remember and, his uh, last name. And uh, could I ask you what the fuck is your relationship with this dude? Oh, distant relative. <laughs> <laughs> we're still we're still waiting on the t- on paternity tests to confirm. But don't know. I've had the paternity <laughs> test. Long. You didn't know. No. So I, and I just I should announce. You know, this is my son Nick Boris, who I'm very proud of. And uh, Nick has done a great journey. In a, I wanted to, everybody to hear Nick's story about how he actually got into the Manage app, and it's not an easy process. It definitely wasn't one where he got a leg up from me. Definitely not. I wish. I wish I did. Yeah, but, but yeah. I was. But Nick, I was one of your best critics and hardest critics because I, I used yeah. to always say to you, "Mate, you're going to run out of money." I mean, when you did the Hagler yeah. application or the Hagler business, which I, was a good idea, but I knew it was going to run out of money at some stage, and I knew you didn't have enough to go and raise money, mm. like enough substance in the business. And but I had to let you do it because you know, like most kids, they don't really want to listen to their parents to a large extent. They remember later on. 
but it's, I, and I never wanted to steal from you, your enthusiasm and your excitement about what you're doing. Then I, cause I, you know, I just thought it was a good thing, a good process for you to go to. I was always going to pick you up if you fell over, but and that, and I think that you did it on your own and, and managed, you've done mostly on your own. Of course, my brother, Adrian, who's the lawyer we're talking about earlier on, both of us know him, obviously he's a, he's a director of um, your partner. He's, it, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, a director in, in one of our shareholders' business and he's and he's just, you know, so he's sort of come onto our board in a quasi sort of board member role. Uh, so he, he attends all of our meetings. But, but I, yeah. I, I want to say something, you yeah. know, and I'll just say before we bring your partners in, we'll talk about the business. Mm. Um, my brother, some might say, oh, he's got his brother to help him. I didn't get my brother to help me, help you. You got my brother to help you because the organisation he was at was looking, was interested in your business. But my brother is the hardest marker in the world. And I've dealt with some hard markers in my life mm. in all around the world. Gee, globally, you know, globally, um, shareholders have Magnetar, hedge funds, all sorts of stuff. My brother would be, I would consider him the hardest marker of anyone I know in every aspect, whether it's in a legal framework or whether it's in a business deal framework. So there's no way in the world my brother would give you a leg up unless he actually believed in what you were doing. No way. And believe in your ability to deliver because yep. he won't put his balls on the line. He just won't do it. He's- no, he's very risk averse. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I, I spoke to him. Uh, I wasn't sure if he'd been back from his holiday, but I managed to catch up with him yesterday. And, um, and he, you know, I was just sort of catching him up on some of the things that we've done um, since he's been away. We did a, uh, a partnership deal with the Real Estate Institute of Australia. And, I, you know, so, you know, getting, you know, having a product that's highly disruptive, um, you know, and then getting a lot of raised eyebrows over whether or not we're compliant and what we do is 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 safe and secure. Um, you know, there was there was many years where we sort of had to really push through. And we we argued with regulators, and we've had you know top barristers and, and and Queens Council type people come in and 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 vindicate what we're doing. Um, but you know, this this latest partnership with the Real Estate Institute of Australia, who is a federation of all the individual state real estate institutes, um, is a huge endorsement. You know, they don't just sort of you know they're not for sale. You can't just go and pay the money. Um, you know, they only partner with with people that they you know products and services that they believe in, and, and would be happy advocating and endorsing. So <laughs> he's hard to impress. Yeah, he's very hard to impress. And so, who are your partners now? So your it's you and Tom. Yeah. So we, look, we've actually got. Probably ten of our employees. So we've only got twenty-two people in the organisation at the moment, and ten of our employees are actually shareholders in the business now, which I think is you know an amazing statistic. You know, it's more than half. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's not me sort of forcing them to take stock in the company. They've all sort of come to me and said, "Say, hey, listen, we're really interested in what you're doing." And they're engineers, they're management people. Not just investment savvy people or people that are you know uh, uh, you know sales you know, the kinds of people that you would expect to want to take up stock in a business. Um, you know they're they're also people that 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 don't you know buy um, shares on the stock market but want to be that are highly invested in what we're doing and want to be part of the business and the, and the long term journey going forward. So so we look we've got a high contingent of our of of our employees that um that are that are now shareholders in the business. Um, Tom and myself are obviously shareholders in the business, having founded the business. Um, Ro who, who sitting out there and and by the way i met ro um when i was producing this podcast about five years ago the mark burra show the mark burra show yeah the the old version of this podcast the version one you know ro um and his twin brother at the time uh were running a uh 
you know, a community for automotive enthusiasts, um, online community for automotive enthusiasts. They used to call it Ordinato, like aficionado. So I actually met, you know, one of the reasons I want to bring Roto Days, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you recognized him, but he was on that podcast at the X Studio with his twin brother. And uh, I remember when we needed an employee, I sort of, um, he was sort of in my my sphere at the time, you know, catching up or whatever. And 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 I said, hey, do you want to come work with us? And, and I also met Tom through through um when you and i were sort of working together when we do the uh, mike borsha yeah so i met tom uh tom uh had reached out to to you as a as a um minority shareholder in a co-working space and uh i think you t- you said hey can you go and check it out yeah i did I remember it. yeah and i um you know i met with the majority shareholder and i met with tom and, and there was an opportunity that we passed and so I'm, it's fucking hell you have leveraged me yeah so i was uh <laughs> i i i put we, we passed i'm still good friends with steve the um the owner of that workspace and it's down the road on, on william street Williams, there. i remember it. yeah you went and, down there for a while you were down there for yeah a while. yeah we were working out of that office for a little while but um so i you know it's it's funny how life works out you know um uh who are your other partners? Some other part, yeah. We got corporate partners now as well. Obviously, Momentum Media, um, you know, large, you know, independently owned um, media company in, in the trade media space. So they've got you know something like 30, 40 different titles now. Um, we've um, uh, and we've also got realestate.com um, or REA Group, who is the owner of realestate.com. So um, they're the largest real estate technology business on the planet, um, and you know they're, they've got an upstream of News Corp as well. So so and so and that's a big endorsement having realestate.com or a big tech real estate tech company. Absolutely. Being one of your shareholders. Yeah. So why don't we stop here because we've established who you are, Nick Boris, and we'll get your two partners in and we'll have a chat to them. Or, sorry, but one, you know, they're both partners. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. one's a founding partner, yeah, yeah. the other one's a more recent uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a partner after that. So let's get them yeah. in and have a talk to them. Okay, sounds good. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I come back from the break here with Nick Boris from Managed App and his partners, or two of his partners. Uh, we have Tom and Roe. Um, Tom was one of the original founders. Roe was probably the original employee, I think, and is now a, a shareholder as well. Yes. Um, so I, I guess what I want to find out right up front, how did you guys all meet? We met through your intro. 
originally. Um, I think uh, when we, because I had the um, the co-working business in Darlinghurst yep. back then, and um, we were talking about something completely unrelated, and I sort of had this little little sneaking business plan in the back of my pocket that we ripped out. And, uh, it, it basically <laughs> said, he goes, like, we go, we're not interested in the work. So he goes, oh, what about this? I've got something else for you. He's like the guy with the coat, you know, yeah. open up his coat. He's like, well, if that doesn't interest you, what about one of these? Yeah, there's a bike in a show called, a television show called McHale's Navy, and <laughs> yeah, his yeah. name was Gruber. Yeah. And it was sort of in the in the in the where the wall where all the camp was, and he used to he sell watches and shit like that. So he opened yeah, yeah. his coat up. Yeah. As long as you opened the coat up, that's all he had in there. He didn't have anything silly in there, did you? We still I still have that coat. We, we, that's how we get our new features. If something comes out, yeah. Tom Tom's Tom's the, Tom's like the ideas guy in the business. He's got all, like a million ideas. As in the guy in the castle. The, Steve. Yeah, I, yeah, the trading post guy, yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, uh, it's just this big repository of his ideas. And, I, like, if if the business existed for another 100 years, we wouldn't get any all of it done, I'm pretty sure. It's yeah, because so many ideas. There's too much there. And that's, that's the, the trick is distilling, you know, what's important and uh, trying to prioritise, you know. So you met you met as a result yeah. of the Mark Bora show, which Nick was yeah. producing back in those days. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what about you, Ra? Uh, pretty much the same, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was running a startup at the time, founded it with my You've brother. met before. Yeah, yeah, You two yeah, have yeah. met before, yeah. but you, you don't remember him. Uh, well, he he remembers, episodes, he remembers I don't remember <laughs> And then his brother, his brother's got a twin brother. I do have a twin brother, yeah. And that's how, he remembers him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he remembers <laughs> him, not me. Um, and, and that's how, and you know, we, we met. Um, and I think from there, it was probably about a, a year or two after. And then Nick. Nick had reached out to me and said that manage was growing and there's an opportunity and that's when um that's when when I decided to to join. Well, it was a bit strange actually when you're when you found a business you're normally pitching people and first time I had guys pitching me um and and I think there was a lot of interesting parts about what manage was doing that that drew me in. And did and did Nick cast you to come on my show, the My Poor Show? Did was did Nick hustle you guys into? Becoming part of the Mike yeah. Show. Yes, he did. Yeah. And how did you know them, Nick? Oh, how did you find them? How did I? How did we well, meet? We in, in we were running a. Uh, there was a. Um, uh, a pitch day. Yeah. yeah was it the pitch night? The pitch day where I turn yeah. up in the Tesla and all that stuff. Then we. Oh. No, no, not that. It was, it was a startup. Um, Uber a little, pitch. That was Uber pitch. Uh, it was a, a, yeah. a startup. Yeah, a I was, I was a startup. Trying to, yeah, I was trying it, to get yeah. some people into the. Yeah, correct. And 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 we had like 10 different startup founders all in a row. And uh, and 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 Roe was was and his brother were were part of that panel, and 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 then we caught up a couple of times after as well to talk about you. You he had a you know, and I talked about this in the first half of the podcast. Roe had a um, an automotive community, digital automotive community called Autonado, like you know, play on aficionado. And you know the idea was to sort of, and and he he'd managed to successfully get a, a good number of of auto, you know, people from Ferrari clubs and. You know, um, Nissan clubs and all these, like all the people that are like mad about their particular car or their brand of car together on these rallies, you call them rallies, right? They go for drives and then they sort of, you know, all meet up at a coffee shop type thing. And I think that the revenue model was we're going to, um, you know, sell some aftermarket stuff or, or sell, you know, vend in like, you know, have, have these people sort of sitting like every time they all catch up in one place, you have some people selling stuff. You know, even if it's just, you know, coffee and donuts right up to, you know, oh, we'll sell you some spare wheels for your car. Or insurance. Yeah, insurance. Yeah. Well, anything yeah. around anything around the car. But the, I think, you know, what, what I helped row with, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, 
like you know his mentor or anything like that but like but i i think we sort of both figured out that your ta- your, your addressable market was too small because like, you only had so many you know just simple arithmetic to tell you that there wasn't enough but why did you then why did you try to get row you and tom trying to get row into the business well we we, we like by the way that was uh after we caught up the first time he he um you know he was another year or so before we caught up again and and in that time i didn't want to tell him hey listen don't go for it you know he, he went for it after still against my advice um, and then it didn't work. <laughs> and then we caught up again. I was like, how's Ordinato going? And he goes, it's not going. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm doing this. Do you want to come work with us? And and he worked like, you know, we were all doing, you know, doing, you know, everything. Um, so it's not like he was in any sort of, um, you know, crappy position there because we were all in crap positions. But, you know, uh, you know, there was a, a job that needed doing and that was, you know, bringing customers from legacy platform onto managed and managing that pro- that implementation process in between and, and, and just sort of helping them when they got, got into trouble. So you live your lives meeting up with people and sort of putting it in your intellectual diary, your mental diary, perhaps even writing it down. Um, here's Row, he's good at this. Um, Next, and then, and just having a, a recall position that well, one day, when maybe one day I might need to talk to her, or one day Rome might be good for my business, or one day uh, Nick might be good to do something with. I mean, yeah. do, do you guys, be, and you go out meeting lots and lots of people, you apply the spray technique. Absolutely. I mean, is that something you do? Is that a thing? But that, I'm uh, doing it right now. I did, you know, we're trying to hire a you know, head of operations in the business, and he's someone that Tom worked with in the past that I met, and then I had a big rate. You know, I had big raps on him. So you just rate them in yeah. your mind, or do you write mind. them down? I don't look. I don't write them down. We just stay. You just stay connected. You know, over the years, and then you know. So I oh, so you make a positive ho- thing. Yeah, make hopefully, it. hopefully your, your paths cross. You know, at some stage in the future. You know. So you, you, so is the the thing here to stay connected? You know, do you guys do it too? Like you say, look, hey Nick, I remember this dude. He was really good back then. Yeah, I mean they're few and far between, so I don't need a list, right? I mean, finding someone like like Row or or, or, yeah. or the new guy we're looking at hiring, like they yeah. they stand out and you yeah. remember them. Absolutely, like Row's our head of pro- like Row's one of the most senior people in the business now. He's our head of product, you know. Like he he you know he sets the roadmap and you know manages the whole development team and you know s- sees the evolution of the product, you know. Like so, it make, makes sure that you know Tom's ideas sort of turn into reality. Um, which is a huge job, you know what I mean? And he's, you know, very well paid now. That's not saying much for Tom. You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. I, I think like, um, you know, and, and anyone in business can say ideas are worthless without yeah. execution. And I think yeah. having a really good idea is, is hard. It, it definitely yeah. is. But but you need the right people to execute yeah. on those ideas and bringing the right people together to work collaboratively to to solve really hard problems is, is very difficult. Yeah. So I guess the point I was making as well is that, Anyone like like when you recognise people like Roe or this other guy I'm trying to hire or Tom or whatever, you know that there's no cap on their limitations. You know they're, they're, there's that they've got so much potential. You know what I mean. So you hire people like that, knowing that like they will grow with the business. So an important lesson out of this, I guess, is um, in your travels. Well, first be in travels. So travel around, meet people, whether it's at a co-working space, wherever it is. I mean, go to those environments where there's a nursery of individuals. Get to meet them, get to know what they do. Yeah, uh, and this is not a use up, but become friendly with them. But at the same time, take note of what they're good at, because one day you may be able to call upon them, or they may they may w- want to put something to you. I mean, is that would that be because you know th- these you guys have all come together? It's not serendipitous. I don't believe in that. I mean, I believe in that. Maybe meeting you was serendipitous, but bringing you into the same business, the three of you, is not serendipitous. That's very purposeful. That's about understanding the, the the background of what you do, understanding exactly what it is you need to have to execute. Um, you know, uh, 
giving someone uh, some free play, um, you know, giving them the ability or empowering them, so to speak. I hate the word shit word, but giving them the authority, so to speak. Um, that is really purposeful stuff. And from a startup's point of view to where you guys are today, getting it from startup to where you are today, that's about having people having authority and ability to execute. And friendships. We, we're, we're connected to each other maybe 24-7 these days yeah. um, in every part of the business. And so it's kind of changed. We're talking about roles and Nick was saying how we were quite scrappy at the start, everyone doing everything. We've become more of a uh, of a, a proper unit now. Yeah, we're doing our own, staying in our own lanes, doing our own thing, and it's working even better than it yeah. ever has before. When, well, that's a good point. I, Tom, I want to know about that, staying in your own lanes because I know my son, okay? He'd be fucking all over everything. Um, trying to, he's a micromanager. He's oh, sort of I'm trying to be less, he, but he is. Yeah. He, he's he's a micromanager, and he wants to get involved in everything, and he'd have an opinion about everything because you know he's a he's a full on. He's like my brother. He's totally full on. But him and my brother clash a lot, yeah. but <laughs> but, they're, but they're exactly the same. They're intense. They're intense motherfuckers. Like so fucking intense. Like uh, in business. Outside business, no, but business, yes. Um, how do you how do you maintain a good dynamic with Nick in that regard? Because there'll be times when you say, "Fuck you," like one hundred percent. But it's because we're opposite. I don't do the micromanagement stuff. I'm not good at that. I'm not. I'm not good at uh, at, at doing the the managerial day to day stuff. Uh, mine's more big picture. Mine's more how it should work and and the experience at the other end and how the product is going to look. So we very rarely have to come across each other like that. I, Nick will call me and ask me about certain things, how a product should fit, and and if I notice something operationally, I go to Nick and let him know. But what about the, that's that's because you've got demarcation on now. You've got your own lanes. But what about in the early days? Though? I mean, when you're sort of fucking around, you, you know, you're sort of uh, you know you're backfilling all the time. You're scrambling. You don't have enough money in the bank to actually have someone like Row and other people. In, you know, you sort of pretty much both of you doing everything, you're scrambling, but. How do you hold your relationship together? I mean, what's the one thing that you do to, you have to do or Nick had to do? Is there something you had to do to sort of save it from going, oh, fuck this, I'm out of his well, delay? Why we were in it, like big picture. Like well, where, where, where did we want it to be in a couple of years' time? I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's in there for the same reason, right? To make a decent business, make a bit of money and uh, and grow something cool. So as long as you don't lose sight of that, that was sort of the big thing, right? Because you can get hung up on the little shit and sort of argue and 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 and, and just have, have little fights and tiffs and stuff like that. And if you let that get to you, you're not going to get anywhere. So can I just straight up, what's it like working with Nick? Both of you. What do you like? Tell me straight up, what do you think? What is it like working with Nick? I think just to, to start, I think there's a lot of self-awareness between the three of us. Like I think Nick, yeah, he, he can be full on, but he he know he does know it. Like he knows where he might be overstepping and, and you know, if he does some you know, there is an apology, like he, he does know it. Um, but he, he I think he's actively working really hard now to pull back and allow people to manage their own remits. And that comes with maturity um and experience. And I think uh, like, you know, there's there's lots of times where we do clash, you know. Know, there is a lot. I remember our meetings, product meetings, very, very early on, where there was a lot. <laughs> Nick laughs, but there was a lot of swearing, um, and there was a lot of um, you know um, kind of clashes between the three of us. And I don't think any of us ever left it upset and, and annoyed each other because we. I think there was a lot of passion between um, all of us wanting to solve really, really important problems. Um, and I think as long as we all understood that, we just left it and 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 within it was like almost you know when you fight with your siblings um, and. You know, ten minutes later, it's like, "Hey, what do you want for dinner?" 
Um, it was definitely, you know, we would fight and then go, do you guys want to get pizza? Like it was very, very normal and comfortable. And I think I grew up with that with my siblings, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, Tom and Nick probably did as well. And that's probably why we moved through the hard times very easily. Can I ask you, Ro, you're the head of product. Um, give us a quick thumbnail on what the product is. Who, who are your customers? Who are the ultimate customers? Who are the, you know, the immediate customers and the ultimate customers? What's the compelling uh, story behind why people take up your product and how's it going? Uh, I think, um, you know, it probably goes back to why I joined the business and, and I've got a background in both marketing and accounting and both of those gave me an insight into why I found what Manage was doing was valuable. And I think, you know, it comes to a marketing principle called, and you might know it's called Blue Ocean Strategy. So what it is is, is very simply um, you only ever um, sell a product or service in two markets, a, a blue ocean, which is uncompetitive and new, or a red ocean, which is very competitive. And for me, when I first looked at what these guys were doing, you know, a very easy way to understand a red ocean um, is something that's really competitive. Um, and, and there's a lot of um, clashes. It's a bloodbath. And that's what you would call, say, Coca-Cola or Pepsi. And a blue ocean is something that is, an, you know, an open uh, market something that it's it's innovative and, and it's available for um a, i guess a new product to go into and it. people can coexist as well a- absolutely yeah and so for example you know within um a property management software you have a lot of trust accounting softwares that's that's that they're all competing in a, in a bloodbath and that's where you, you know you have the issues of cost and um and and products that really define whether it's better than the others and for me when i looked at what these guys were doing it's almost like kombucha, you know, going in against Coca-Cola and Pepsi. It's it's a completely new product. And that's what man- Manage was. A direct payment solution is a new product. And if you do a blue ocean really well, it naturally happens. It becomes a red ocean. It becomes competitive over time. Because everybody copies you. Exactly. And so that's when moving into what, I understood Manage was doing. I said, this is this is great. Like this is, you know, they're attracting a new segment, a new demographic. And that's what I thought was really valuable. One of the, uh, just to riff on what Ro was saying just then about, you know, uncontested space. Um, one of our directors is a sales guy by trade. Um, he, he sort of taught our whole sales team and I had a sales sort of reverberates this now across the whole team. It's like one of the first qualifying questions when they talk to a prospective customer is do you want a trustless solution? Do you want do you want a direct do you want a, uh, a direct payment solution, or do you want to keep using your trust, trust account? And and although we're taking business away from trust accounting products, we're not actually a competitor. We're we're basically saying, hey, listen, look, if you want to keep doing trust accounting, stay with trust accounting, and maybe you want to have a chat with one of the, you know, one of the better performers in that space. But if you want to get into direct payments and remove yourself from that process altogether, remove the risk, remove the headache, remove the overhead. Um, you know, give your 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 landlords a better experience, faster payments, come to managed. And that was like a, you know, so you know, when you sell on that basis, everyone's yet like, you know, everyone in that the 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 ninety five percent of the market that we don't have yet is is available to you. So yeah. I, I want to ask you one more question uh to the group. Um how important is once you you're a private company, but how important is that a private co- company when it raises money from externals who don't actually get involved in the business as such, maybe at a board level, but not at an executive level, how important is the management of the shareholders' expectations? So, and, and how do you guys do that? So shareholder expectation management, it's all very well to raise money, but then you've got to manage expectations after the money's been the account. You guys have got to deliver. So how do you, would you talk to monthly, weekly, 
do you just wait for the board meetings at once a month, or do you randomly give them up? Say, hey, go on, Joe, whatever. I mean, yeah, we do, we do we do um three meetings in our business. So we've got meetings with our board, meetings with our shareholders, and then meetings with us other stakeholders, so employees, for instance, um, and 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 suppliers or. And what's your rhythm? Are, uh, so we we do those um once. So they all happen once a quarter. Um, but if they're following each other, then you've got something on every month. So, you know, sh- uh, board yeah, meeting, yeah. shareholders meeting, stakeholders meeting, board meeting, shareholders meeting, stakeholders meeting. You know, yeah, so, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's just a, a continuum. It doesn't stop. That's that's right. You know, so it's important not to overburden yourself with too much reporting, you know, and, and, and you know, scheduling too many meetings can, you know, cause a small team to take their eyes off what they're actually doing. So. Uh, it's, you know, and, 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 you know, having, having the, the, the stakeholder, you know, you want to make sure that everyone across the business, you know, uh, you're getting buy-in from everybody that every important stakeholder, whether it be director, shareholder or employee. Yeah. So it was important, you know, and without, without overburdening yourself on meetings. Yeah. And there's a fine balance in this, in this game because you don't want to take, because you're not a big business. You don't have a lot of people working for you. So you don't have the time because you're all working in the business. So you don't have that much time to allocate to shareholders but at the same time you have to allocate time to shareholders. So there's a balance between spending time on the business, in the business, and there's t- then, then you've got to spend time making sure that the people who are funding you, the people's balance sheets you're using are still, um, engaged in what you do but importantly still engaged in the sector you know they might because you want to know whether they're starting to drift away from the sector altogether i mean i'm involved in companies like general electric when when they decide that they don't want to be in the financial services sector and if you don't know about it they'll just tell you one day they're out and you can't talk back back into it i mean they're gone they they go they just leave so you got to sort of be befriend so to speak have relationships with people. That's really important. You know, that's a really important thing. But at the same time, you've got to spend your time in the business because you're a startup. You know, you don't have 150 employees. You've got what, how many employees? 22. 22. 22. So, and, uh, of which you're three. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's pretty important. You're, 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 you represent more than 12% of the total. So, you know, you've got to keep at it, keep at it hard. Guys, I, I've, it's been really fun. I've enjoyed myself. I've, good to meet you two guys again since I haven't seen you for so long. Um, Row. Uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, coming along today and uh, reminding me of the time that um, we met, but I don't remember you, but I do remember your twin brother. <laughs> Tom, uh, it's great to see you again, mate, and uh, and uh, thank, th- thanks again for coming along and sharing your time. And Nico, uh, I'll see you at on Friday at lunch, mate. Yeah, for, you know, in case anyone missed it, it was uh, your birthday. Last, yes, it was. Last week. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to get, me and the boys are going to get, uh, oh, by the way, we should ask Adrian along. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think. Well, I think there's a booking for eight or nine. So oh, is there a I'm, pop actually, I'm assuming there's some okay, extras great. there. So. Okay, cool. Sweet as. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Um, that's managed app. Get onto it. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.